0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Tokyo only seems a few days ago, but now the flame is lit once again and we're ready for another Olympics as Beijing prepares to stage the Winter Games in a 100 days' time from February 4th and the Paralympics from March 4th, 2022. I'm John.
1: And I'm Michael, and this is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. Now, we should all remember the famous Bird's Nest National Stadium in Beijing in China and the Watercube Aquatic Centre from the Summer Games of 2008. And these venues are being reused as Beijing becomes the first ever city to stage both the Summer and Winter Olympics.
0: And in this episode, we'll try and bring you some of the British names to watch out for in China. Hear from a rising GB figure skating star who started on the ice age seven at a birthday party and never wanted to stop. And talk curling with the British Olympic head coach and former medalist himself.
1: We'll also be running through some of the other headlines away from the Winter Olympic Games, including the latest funding announcements from British Athletics. And as ever, of course, you can get in touch with us. Join the debate on Twitter at AnythingButF. Message us on Instagram or Facebook. Find us online at AnythingButFooty.com. And there is a contact us form there on the website.
0: Or just drop us an email, AnythingButFooty at gmail.com. So the Olympic flame is once again burning, having been lit in Olympia and travelled from Greece to China, no doubt on its own first-class seat again. But there's huge hopes for Great Britain at these Winter Games in 100 days' time. Four years ago in 2018, Team GB sent its biggest-ever team to Pyeongchang, with athletes competing in 11 of the 15 disciplines. And they came away with five medals, one gold, four bronze... 19th in the medal table, their best performance ever. But, Michael, I think it's fair to say they don't want to stop there.
1: No, I mean, it's interesting when you look back at Pyeongchang where those medals were won, and a lot of them were won on the ice, as well, of course, as Izzy Atkin on the snow. But it's snow where I want to focus because... There is this stated ambition by GB Snowsport to be a top five snowsport nation on the planet by 2030. So that Beijing medal targets somewhere between three and seven medals. UK Sport funding this Olympic cycle to the tune of over £11 million. And when you look at those medals on snow from Pyeongchang, Izzy Atkin, the freestyle skier, and Billy Morgan, the snowboarder, winning those medals on snow. And let's talk and focus on snow for a bit. So you've got alpine skiing. So you need to get your head around downhill, giant slalom, super G combined, a team event as well. Uh, Then you've got your cross-country skiing, where you're going to have a 15K, 30K, 50K event, relays and team events. Then you've got some freestyle ski and also snowboarding. And the kind of vernacular that you want to get in your head for these are things like aerials, big air, half pipe, slope style, moguls. Ski cross, snowboard cross and things like that. So where are these medals as far as the snow is going to come from a Team GB point of view? Well, let's start with the alpine skiing and Dave Riding, who's shown this trajectory, if you like. He's probably the best known alpine skier, 27th in Vancouver, 17th in Sochi, 9th in Pyeongchang. Is this the games where he gets an Olympic medal? He has won a bronze on the Alpine ski circuit at Adelboden as well. So he is one that I think lots of people may have heard of. Dave Riding has made that terrific progress, as I said, and going now for a fourth games. Talking of cross-country skiing, Andrew Musgrave, 37th in Pyeongchang. He will, he will be one to watch in the men's 50-kilometre cross-country And then look back at Izzy Atkins and also Izzy Atkins' sister, Zoe. Now, Izzy, as we said, won that bronze medal in the freestyle skiing. Big Air has been added to the program. There's also the slope-style freestyle skiing. She's done very well at the X Games. A bronze at the 2019 World Championships and World Cup medalist, plus Plus. Four more years of experience, of course. Uh, Maybe she could improve on that bronze medal. In terms of the women's snowboard cross, seventh in Pyeongchang, uh, Charlotte Banks, who started in Hemel Hempstead in Hertfordshire. She's previously represented France, but she's now switched to Team GB. Charlotte Banks is another big hope. And then also you would look at some of the other names that we will be talking about as we head towards Beijing. And I mentioned, obviously, Charlotte Banks had previously represented France, Gus Kenworthy uh, won a silver in Sochi, previously representing the USA. He's another one that switched to the UK, uh, won a World Championship gold for GB in early 2020, straight after switching, in fact. So, you know, he will be one to follow. In snowboarding, you've got Katie Ormerod uh, from Halifax, the 2019-2020 slope-style champion. Uh, You've also got the freestyle skiing um, slope-style athlete, James Woods, who was fourth in Pyeongchang. He will be one looking to improve on that. And a 17-year-old freestyle skier, Kirsty Muir, as well, is another name. And I just want to wrap up by talking about a little bit of Winter Olympic history, potentially, for Team GB. And this is the siblings, the Gherkin Schofield. Siblings, You've got twins Leone and uh, twin brother Tom who could become Team GB's first winter Olympic twins come Beijing 2022 but then you've also got trying to qualify the other sister Michaela and they're looking to compete in the moguls which involves skiing down a steep course covered in moguls basically bumps. Uh, demonstrating some technical turns, speed and aerial manoeuvres. So when you put all of those names into the mix that we've talked about there and some of their places and some of the things they've done on the circuit, you can see why GB Snowsport have got this stated ambition to be in the top five in the world by 2030. So we've got these games in Beijing. We then go to the Milan Cortina Games and then obviously the 2030 Olympics then as well. And that's when we'll be looking at seeing whether Team GB are pretty high up in the medal table.
0: And quite incredible that we only won our first medal in the Winter Olympics on snow four years ago. That's the thing that we need to bear in mind when you talk about us getting into the the top 10. Some amazing names there. Uh, For anyone who doubts it, Michael snows his sport. Do you see what I did there? I
1: did. And I just want to say, I mean, for people that are listening to me, they're prattling on. And giving you a list of names, saying, look, look out for names like James Woods, Andrew Musgrove, Charlotte Banks, Izzy Atkins. They could all be Olympic medalists. And people are saying, hang on, we only won our first snow medals four years ago. You look at the progress in summer games of programs like triathlon Uh, only came into the Games in 2000. Taekwondo was first as a demonstration sport in Seoul in 88, then had to wait its turn. And you look at the amount of medals being won by British athletes in in disciplines like taekwondo and triathlon, you then transfer the similar knowledge that the programmes have in triathlon, taekwondo and others, transfer the similar amount of funding which UK Sport are putting in, and you can see why this is a realistic aim for GB.
0: And the freestyle angle as well. We won BMX medals in Tokyo. We won skateboard medals in Tokyo. And the snow events, snowboarding and skiing over, as you were saying, bumps and jumps and and various things, park benches, etc., etc., that gives us an advantage as well. There are young people out there who want to perform these new freestyle kind of sports.
1: And these sports are talking to each other and they're learning from each other, and they're not operating in the sporting silos that perhaps they might have done a generation ago when the Blazers were more in charge as opposed to the the tracksuits that we're now seeing in charge. You know, British Cycling are speaking to GB snowboarding and skiing, and they are looking at what they can exchange in terms of knowledge. So all that success in new sports, new Summer Olympic sports like BMX, freestyle, and skateboarding, they're all being transferred between the disciplines. And that, again, is why I have lots of cause for optimism in terms of those freestyle um, disciplines on the snow. And I'm not saying that they are easier medals to win than maybe what Dave Riding faces in alpine skiing, but there might be more opportunities, let's put it that way, uh, for British, British skiers and snowboarders in those freestyle disciplines because the rest of the world hasn't quite caught up yet in those disciplines.
0: Oh, you are getting me excited, 100 days to go, anything but footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast, looking ahead to Beijing 2022. Now, famously, 20 years ago in 2002, Rona Martin and her team won gold in the curling. The women have yet to qualify, the British women, for these games in Beijing in February We'll be hearing from head coach David Murdoch in a moment. But first, if you ask anyone of a certain age, the Winter Olympics were all about figure skating. Torvill and Dean, top marks in Sarajevo in 1984. Now this year, Great Britain has qualified two places so far in the women's singles and the ice dance competition. Lila Fear and Lewis Gibson. Uh, Lewis is a Scottish athlete, but he's actually based in the US. Uh, they've earned the spot in ice dance and Natasha McKay from Dundee has done the same in the singles. Now, they've earned the spot, but they haven't been picked yet. The British Championships take place at the end of November in Sheffield before any official Team GB selection. But we were lucky enough to catch up with Natasha about her hopes of being there in Beijing. Four-time British figure skating champion. How does that make you feel? Very proud, one assumes.
2: Yeah, very proud. Um especially the first time I won it, it was I was so proud that um when I won it for the first time. Um and then to carry it on and retain it. It just makes you feel so proud to represent your country and just to be the best in your country.
0: It's quite an achievement to have, as I say. And you've been busy the Finlandia Trophy. Tell yeah, us how that went.
2: It was my first competition of the season. And for me it actually went very good. Um for the first outing of the season, usually things are a little bit um, not perfect, obviously, with it being the f- very first competition. But I did two good programmes at the event, and I was really happy with the score and the outcome there. So, yeah, it was a really enjoyable experience for my first international of the, se- of the season.
1: So, Natasha, tell us, 100 days to go to the Winter Olympics in Beijing. Talk us through that qualification process, because you qualify a place... And then you have to qualify yourself. So talk yeah. us through how that happens.
2: So obviously at the World Championships, you have to come in the top 24 to get a quota spot for your country, um, which I did. And then the country gets the spot, but it doesn't mean that it's my spot. So it could be any of the British skaters' spots. So now I, ha- I, I think the score was 169, Um and I've already achieved it. Um, So anyone else trying to get that spot now has to achieve the 169 um, at a competition. And then if someone does achieve the 169, it comes down to your highest international score, your highest challenger score and your British Championship score. And then they'll calculate that all together. And whoever has the biggest score will go to the Games.
1: So you need to be good at maths as well (laughs) as ice skating to go to Beijing yeah. How difficult has it been to get to qualification competitions and to just simply get out on the ice over the past year, 18 months?
2: Yes, yeah, so the World Championships where we had to qualify the spot was my first competition in over a year at that point. Um, so it was quite tough. We hadn't been on the ice for four months at the start of 2020. Um, we eventually got back on the ice, but we it was very limited training. Uh, we have only had two hours a day, whereas we normally have four or five hours a day. So um, after that, we then didn't, we were meant to have a British Championships, but everything got cancelled. Um, and then the only competition left was Worlds. Um, so yeah, it was quite tough um, trying to get everything ready within that short period of time with having literally two hours a day on the ice. And it was only four days instead of our usual six days.
0: How different was it, Natasha, as well, from pre-pandemic? So once you returned...
2: It was very different, just between Worlds and the competition there was very different, just having the crowd there again. Like, obviously, at World Championships, we had no crowd, so it was very quiet. I know our team members were there to support us, but just having the crowd again, just it's just more enjoyable and everything's a bit more relaxed now. Um, Travelling and that's not as strict, so that's a little bit easier as well now um but yeah it was just world championships was just crazy because when we got there we were all in a bubble we weren't allowed out to the hotel or anything so we all stayed in the hotel we had covid tests every second day um so yeah it was a different experience for me definitely
0: so what would it mean to be in beijing and there to be a crowd in beijing we of course didn't see a crowd in tokyo this summer
2: yeah, that would be great if we could get a crowd. Obviously, it would mean a lot to have the crowd there to support you. And it just it just really makes the event better, having the crowd there. Um, obviously, it's the Olympics. So if there wasn't to be a crowd, then um, it still means a lot to me, obviously, because I've never been to a games before. And I obviously want to go to the games. So um, just to be there would be a, an experience in itself for me.
3: Yeah, what would it?
1: feel like have you allowed yourself to imagine what it would feel like to be part of team GB to be Natasha Mackay Olympian Um,
2: I know I I did think about it when I got the spot and obviously since I was seven years old that's all I've wanted to do and it is such a big dream um I don't want to focus too much on it at the minute I just want to take it one competition at a time um because obviously between now and then it's still quite a while so I don't want to put any pressure on it at the minute. But yeah, it would mean everything to go.
1: And you mentioned starting skating at the age of seven. How did you start out?
2: Um so I went to my best friend's birthday party. Um and then I begged my mum for a whole year for a pair of skates and a skating dress and she would not give in at all. And then I think I must have just drove her um up the wall trying to get a pair of skates and skating dress and eventually she gave in and yeah that's how it started from there.
0: And up in Dundee?
2: Yeah, so I first started training in Dundee um, with my coaches that I have now, Debbie and Sian Briggs. And I moved away from Dundee in 2012 and then came back in 2017 and then had my success since moving back.
0: Do you think that's been beneficial, being back at home, effectively?
2: Yeah, I think definitely just being around your family. So obviously I moved when I was 12 and... I didn't move with my parents or anything so I moved away from home which was quite tough so definitely being back with my family and it's just more of a structure um having them around and obviously in a training facility where we have the top three British ladies at the minute so that makes a big difference I think when you're in training with training against the ones who are just behind like you bims off each other in training and you're seeing what they can do so I think it's definitely a better environment for me
1: And with the restrictions being different in Scotland and England during the pandemic, is it right that you had to leave Scotland for a short spell and come down to England to carry on training?
2: Yeah, so, yeah, the restrictions were a little bit tighter in Scotland. Um, I think it was July I started. I trained in Bradford. Um, We were just travelling on the Monday, going home on the Saturday, and then just doing that every week. Um, We trained because that was the only place we could get ice. It was... Um, the governing body who got the ice for us and arranged it all. Um, So we had to train in Bradford for a short period of time. And like, that was a lot traveling back and forwards as well, but it was ice and we really needed ice at that point after being off the ice for so long.
1: I'm really interested in, obviously, at the Summer Olympics, we were all energized by watching skateboarding and BMX and trampoline. These are sports that young boys, young girls can do. They can go and do those sports really easy. Everyone's been to an ice skating birthday party. Do you feel that sense of responsibility that you are in a sport, you are in a discipline, a pursuit that most people can go and access quite easy, easily and quite cheaply?
2: Yeah, everyone, well, in most cities, I think there's a nice rink, um, and they all have learned to skate programs, I'm sure, um, that's where I started, at a learned to skate program, just, if you just go, it's, I don't think it's very expensive to do like skate, um, and to just go and try it out, like, there's nothing wrong with going to try, like, people go and try gymnastics and swimming and everything else, but they kind of think, oh, it's skating, it's, like, we're not going to be able to do it, but it's just like any other sport, really, it takes a longer time to um, progress, and I think in figure skating than most other sports. But there's no harm in going and trying it.
0: Now, Michael and I are incredibly old, Natasha. So we were we would have been inspired by Torval and Dean. What yeah. what inspires you? Is it is it dancing on ice? Is, is it was that around what what that seven year old you seven year old Natasha? When you said to your mum, "I want to go. I want to do it." What was that reason?
2: I didn't know anything about skating obviously when I was seven I hadn't even seen it on the tv I don't think dancing on ice was started by that point um but I just really really loved like when I went to that birthday party I think because when you go to the birthday party half the ice is coned off and you can see everyone else skating on the other side of the cones and I seen all the little girls doing all the jumps and the spins and I was like that's what I want to do and I was had my head and heart set on that's what I wanted to do um, so yeah, I think that's what that's what made me skate and then, after I got into it and I started seeing it on the TV more and because I knew about it, and I think um the skaters they just like I remember seeing Sasha Cohen at the Olympics and just being like that's what I want to do. I want to be there
0: and we talked earlier about you being British champion and the best in the, in the country, and I know the British championships are coming up again at, at the end of November. Does that put pressure on you slightly to look back at the history of Britain in ice dance and, and figure skating and go, well, this is something I've got to try and live up to?
2: Not really. I think I'm doing my own thing. Um, I know obviously Torvald and Dean were amazing and like I love watching them. Um, but um, we've got a really good Lila and Lewis there. Also, they got a quote spot um, and I love watching them now. They're so good. They were at Finlandia Trophy as well. Um, and I just think everyone's doing their own thing. And obviously skating has evolved majorly in the last few years as well, that you're just, you have to keep up with them now. Um, and obviously it's just, it's hard to, to, to keep up with everyone that's at the top now. So I'm kind of just focusing on what I have to do um, going forward.
1: So what happens between now and Beijing at the start of 2022? What's your schedule for the 100 days to go?
2: I have I have a little break now. I've got three weeks off competing. I just got back yesterday, got three weeks off, and then I have a crazy November. I've got a competition in Dundee, which is quite good because it's home, um, as the first November. And then I think a day later, I leave to go to Austria. And then I come back, and a day after that, I leave to go to Poland. Um, and then I have a week, and then it's the British Championships. After that, it's, it will then be decided after the British Championships who gets to go to the Games and who gets to go to European Championships. So then I will have a little bit of time off. Well, not time off. I'll still be training, but time off competing for a month, I think. And then it'll be the European Championships in January, Olympics February and Worlds in March.
0: Two more questions for me to finish, Natasha. I, I noticed and um, I watched your performance at the, at the World Championships and you've got your coaches and you mentioned them earlier but you've also got your choreographers. So yeah. how, how, how does that work? Because it, it does the coach come up with the steps and then they the dance then comes or does the dance come first and then you add the steps in that you need to add?
2: So all the jumps and spins that you see, that's what the coach coaches us on is like all the technical stuff. And obviously when you're little, they make programs and stuff, but to progress and get better you need to get a choreographer and i have a canadian choreographer called mark play um and he will make the program up but it, usually i would go to him to get the program made up but because of covid restrictions i actually had to do it through zoom which was pretty difficult uh, this season especially with you're wanting it to be your olympic season program so it was a little bit difficult trying to do it on zoom and trying to pick it all up but i feel like a uh, I managed it quite well this season, um, considering. So, yeah. But your choreography will make up all the little bits in between. And then the jumps and the spins, we just decide what is best for us. The coaches will decide what's best for me to do in the programme.
0: And finally, do you, do you get to choose the music? So, so is that how it works? And when we spoke to Max Whitlock before the summer, he was saying... He knows his routine, so he knows his pommel horse routine and it's just about kind of just practising it week in, week out. He knows exactly what he's doing. I'm assuming that's the same with you guys. You you have your figure skating routine and that's what you'll do at the British Championships, that you will do at each competition.
2: Yeah, we have the same routine for the one season. Um, we will change, because we obviously have a short programme and a free so we will change either one every year. So we keep one of the uh, programmes for two seasons. Um, but it's the same day in, day out, every day we train the same programme. Um, we get the programme at the start of the season and we'll just keep that programme throughout the whole season. And the music? I was looking for ages for a piece of music because I wanted it to be the perfect piece of music for this season. And the choreography, the choreographer sends um, like a, usually a list of music that we can pick or he has an idea or we could send like vice versa, we'll send it back. Um, But he sent me one track and he was like, I think this piece is for you this season. And as soon as I heard it, I went, I want to skip to that this season. Um, And I didn't even have to look at any other music. I just listened to that one piece and knew that that was it for me this season.
1: Well, 100 days to go to the Winter Olympics. We look forward to following your progress. All the very best and fingers crossed for your final selection by Team GB. Thank you. Natasha Mackay speaking on our 100 days to go to the Winter Olympics on anything but footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. And we wish Natasha well. And who knows, maybe we will be repeating the triumphs, as you mentioned, of Torval and Dean and Sarajevo in 1984 uh, in an additional two. Not to
0: two, put too much pressure on her.
1: <laughs> of the Winter Olympics. I, I think realistically, obviously, you know, when you look back at Torvill and Dean and some of the other... Ice skaters that have won gold medals. It's probably a little bit too early for Natasha, but it will be great. It's always great uh, to see figure skating in the games, and it's always one of the undoubted highlights. We wish her well. Staying on the ice, curling, and we already have six members confirmed in the team for GB in China next year. Uh, Team Bruce Moe, who won silver in the Worlds, and then Bruce and Jen Dodds in the mixed team. They won the World Championships earlier this year, but the British women, as we've said, yet to qualify. And for the likes of Eve Muirhead and Lauren Gray, who lost in the bronze medal playoff four years ago, Olympic head coach David Murdoch has been speaking to John and told him they're currently trying to work out the best players to try and grab a last qualification spot in December.
0: With Jen Dodds, she's in the mixed doubles team. Does that mean then she would more than likely go in the women's team or is that totally separate, David?
3: Yeah, it's, that's an interesting one. A really good question. So we didn't qualify the women at the World Championships uh, in April, uh, unlike the men. So that's gave us a you know a little bit of a predicament about how we how we do qualify because there is still an opportunity to have that women's team in Beijing. Uh, there's an Olympic qualifying event in December in the Netherlands. Three spots will be up for grabs. Uh, I think there'll be around nine teams. And what we decided to do was have a bit of a fresh approach to creating a new team for that, because uh, obviously we didn't qualify. We want to make sure that we have the right team, the right qualities in a team, making sure they are uh, have the right skill sets and robust enough to, to go to that pressurized environment. So we've been running a, a squad system over the last three months, and and the, the selection for that will actually be taking place tomorrow. And that um, women's team would go and play the European Championships first in November and and get some uh, really good uh, championship time to work on uh, what's going to be an an even tougher week the week after. Uh, So hopefully the things that we've done and developed with the squad here uh, to to ultimately make that five-man team uh, will put us in a really good spot for, for December.
0: And you mentioned it's not something you've done before because normally, it, and, and it seems to happen in bobsleigh as well, you kind of have a team of four or five and then another team of four or five and they're, they're vying between the, the, the two of them. And obviously that's what happened with the men's. Is this something that if it, if it works for the women's and you do qualify, it could be something you carry on, roll on uh, into Milan?
3: Yeah, you're right. It's, it's not something that uh, is you know, traditionally done before. But I, interestingly, British Curling have done it before. Um, in, in 06 for uh, Turin Olympics, we had a, a men's squad and a women's squad equally as well. And there's a lot of good things that's actually um, that's came out of it. And, and it's been some really interesting learnings. And uh, you know, speaking with the athletes and, and a bit of a wrap-up recently, just uh, there's been some huge elements about progression for each of them because we've been able to... Uh, identify a lot of you know strengths weaknesses things to work on on a weekly basis and how they adapt in different teams and and the learnings that you know the the experienced ones compared to some that have got slightly less championship experience that knowledge transfer has been really crucial so yeah there's been there's been a lot of really good elements to it um is it the future um unknown at this moment in time we'll ultimately see just how how we how we do with it but get it, i think it's been quite a unique set of circumstances for us that we've needed to to adopt that approach
0: and interesting what he was saying about how they've changed the whole selection so team moe is one team. They've played together and they've won, and you mentioned they won silver at the Worlds. But with the women's team, the teams that they had, they had two teams, Britain 1, Britain 2, and they just didn't qualify. So what they've done now is they're kind of mixing it up. And teamwork and trust is so key in curling, uh, as it is in bobsleigh uh, as well, uh, where, of course, there are two teams of four or five athletes trying to be the main British bob. Um, It's hoped that two-man, four-man, The women's team will qualify in the bobs. And of course, as we've heard in a previous episode of Anything But Footy, Greg Rutherford could be one of them. But it's interesting to see these new ways of working and whether they can come up with a team for the women's curling team that can compete in Beijing.
1: Meanwhile, Dominic Parsons won bronze in the skeleton for the British men four years ago. Three males could qualify for the first time ever. Marcus Wyatt, Craig Thompson and Matt Weston, the names in the mix there. Pyeongchang medalist Laura Dees should also return, looking to better her bronze medal. And qualifying for the short track speed skating takes place in December and January. And the big question is, will Elise Christie, the only UK sport funded athlete in the programme, take her place on the start line again?
0: And of course, she was one of the guests in Catherine Granger's Medals and More podcasts for UK Sport. And Tokyo was described as a games like no other. But the UK sport chair told us that when we spoke to her in Japan, Michael, that Beijing would be incredibly similar. And in fact, it looks like it's going to be somewhat stricter because if you don't have fully vaccination as an athlete. So if you're not fully vaccinated, whether that's two jabs or two different countries have different ways of vaccinating against COVID-19, you have to serve a 21-day quarantine upon arrival in Beijing. Now that um, is really, really difficult and we saw with the tennis players for the Australian Open in the early uh, parts of 2021 how difficult that was in a hotel room uh, for two weeks. So that's a huge question mark, puts a lot of pressure on the fact that these players, athletes, probably have to be fully vaccinated before they go to Beijing. Um, We will wait and see on that one. So that's incredibly tight. And then the other tight restrictions with spectators. So there will be spectators. And I think we we know from Tokyo that we missed, or the athletes particularly missed, having their families around uh, to compete um, and and be there and support them. That is also going to be the case for Beijing. There will be no families there because only spectators who live in China's mainland will be allowed to buy tickets and go to the games. So it will be some crowds in the stadium, which I think will make a difference, but it won't be family and it won't be the close support, if you like. So it looks like these restrictions, we talked about Tokyo being a one-off, certainly not going to be, and Beijing could be even tighter than what we saw in the summer.
1: Yeah, we await with interest the playbooks, as uh, the IOC call it, from (laughs) Beijing. Uh, We saw the Tokyo playbooks and all the, the rules and regs are in there and the playbooks for Beijing will be released imminently. And you can't talk about China and the Olympics without mentioning human rights, of course. Leader of the Liberal Democrat Party, Ed Davey, is just one of several prominent MPs who've called for a boycott by British athletes because of the ethnic cleansing of the Uyghur Muslims. Several US lawmakers have also urged America to pull out. But the IOC vice president, John Coates, said the IOC's remit is to ensure that there is no human rights abuses in respect of the conduct of the Games within the National Olympic Committee or within the Olympic movement. We have no ability to go into a country and tell them what to do. We are not a world government. And I would say it is very, very, very unlikely. That GB would pull out of these games, no matter what the backdrop is in China. They haven't pulled out of a summer or winter Olympics in the 125 years of the existence of the modern games, and I would not think that they would do it here.
0: Yeah, Margaret Thatcher actually told the British Olympic Association not to go in 1980 uh, to Moscow, and they said, no, actually we are going to we are going to go and the athletes decided to go instead. This is the Anything But Footy Olympic and Paralympic podcast. We are previewing Beijing 2022 with 100 days to go.
1: But it wouldn't be Anything But Footy without some other sporting headlines and What a headline. Before we get on to the British Athletics funding announcements, which were made relatively recently, the CEO and performance directors of what is arguably our biggest Olympic and Paralympic sport, I'm talking athletics, have resigned just days after the arrival of a new chairman. Let's go through the timeline on this sensational story from the world of track and field. And it starts on a Thursday evening, UK time, at 7.31. At that point in time, British Cycling tweeted that Sarah Simmington, who had been Performance Director at British Athletics, is returning to British Cycling. To head up the Olympic and Paralympic programme. That is the first moment where people, the general public, knew what was going on. We had actually had an email three minutes before that, you and I, to confirm this news. Two minutes after that tweet, we got another email. This one was from British Athletics. It was a statement. They confirmed the departure of Sarah Symington to British Cycling, but also dropped this bombshell. Chief Executive Joanna Coates would also be leaving the organisation. And Mark Munro, who's Development Director of British Athletics, will become the interim CEO for the next six months. At 7.57, Sarah Symington tweeted, I couldn't be happier going back to where it all began. And the responses to this tweet were pretty unbelievable. One from 1992 Olympic gold medalist Linford Christie, who just simply wrote a badly timed tweet. The current crop of British athletes all then subsequently weighed in with their own opinion. And it seems to me that they weren't told that this announcement was going to be made. The first, the current crop of British athletes, the likes of Laura Muir, Dina Asher-Smith, all the other names that we know and supported in the summer in Tokyo, the first they heard about it seemed to be on social media. So why was this announcement if you like rushed out in the way it was. Well it seems that the Daily Mail and the Times Matt Lawton at the uh, Times and Rieth at the Daily Mail had this story and were about to break this story. So British Cycling put out their announcement to try and head that off and then it seems to me that British Athletics had to react and in reacting they forgot to tell their employees. So what a storm. What a storm on a Thursday evening. What a 30 minutes for British Cycling and, of course, British Athletics, who are now, again, John, left pretty rudderless without a performance director, without a CEO, and again, another interim structure in place. And importantly, where does it leave Christian Malcolm, their head coach of the Olympic programme?
0: Really big questions, I think. And I think that there is so much to this story that we need to dissect it at each moment. So firstly, 20 months in the job, and you resign. It's obviously not going very well. But I'm 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 intrigued as to know why. And look, we'll we'll never actually know the reasons why Joanna Coates and Sarah Simmington decided to go. Did Sarah Simmington go to British cycling because she wasn't happy with being the performance director at British Athletics? You can see some of the responses, as you've mentioned already, from some of the athletes who um putting it politely probably haven't rated her as 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 maybe they should have from the experience and the success that she had at netball there's been a lot of Michael oh well then they weren't athletics people they weren't athletics people for me that's a non-starter it's irrelevant whether you've whether you've played athletics or not you if you are a good leader and a good motivator and a good performance director it doesn't matter what sport Stephen Park at British Cycling is the prime example of that from British sailing to British Cycling. So for me, it's too easy to say where well, they weren't athletics people. But the question is, did Sarah see the opportunity at British Cycling? It was a brand new role. Stephen Parker said, you know, I wanted to create a new role. I mean, he was so successful in Tokyo. We spoke to him before, of course, the event. And he told us how many medals he was going to win and managed our expectations. And they did remarkably well. He told us they would win all those medals in BMX and mountain biking that they hadn't won before. So they've created this new role at British Cycling. Did Sarah go, actually, that's a better role for me? Did she see that opportunity and go, this is too good an opportunity to turn down. I want to go and be the head coach of the Olympics for British Cycling. And then Joanne Joanna, who brought her in with this new chairman, Ian Beattie, coming in earlier in the week. As we say, if you read some of the reports, it was a pretty stormy first meeting. If she knows that Sarah's going, who was someone that she'd brought in, where are the people that she turns around to and goes, well, who are, who who is, who is backing me? So they're the question marks as to, to why it came to an end. I'd like to say some of the good things that I think they did, because that sometimes gets lost in stories like this. Um, I thought that they started, and Joanna particularly, started to change the organisation. You said they're rudderless at the moment. 20 months ago, they were even more rudderless. Remember, they had that whole safeguarding issue. It was a huge issue at the time involving actually the former uh, CEO's partner. So looking at Charlie Webster's latest documentary that's come out about abuse growing up in athletics, it's still shocking that it's still... um, front and center but i did i do think that coates put it uh, as her top priority and when she came in she said safeguarding was a huge issue and she prioritized it and i think that did make a difference then she also said that she would always put athletes first and again it seemed like some progress was being made until for whatever reason, communication starts to break down, and you mentioned earlier that the communication wasn't there, particularly at the end. Some would say that's understandable. Uh, if if you know your one of your colleagues is leaving, and then you go, well, actually, I want to go. Your priority is then not saying to your staff, "We're going," but you know that is a, a again a, a leadership question for for another time, maybe. And then Christian Malcolm, you mentioned absolutely right. I think this was a good appointment as head coach. This was needed at the time. Athletics is the most diverse sport in this country apart from when you get to the coaches and the administrators. And and for me, putting Christian Malcolm front and center was the right thing at the right time. And you can question it and you can say, well, they didn't perform in Tokyo, six medals in total, no golds. It's all his fault, it's all Joanna Coates' fault. They came in with a year to go before Tokyo, it was never going to change. And I think to blame them for, for all of that, I feel, is wrong. But I think you're right. The The huge question mark is now, where do they go from here? Because to be honest, Michael, the fallout hasn't even started yet because you've got something that we all know is coming and it's going to be even bigger. And that is CJ Huge's positive drugs test. That is going to be huge. They're going to lose their medal, their silver medal from the Olympics. And that is going to be a huge issue for whether it is Mark Runro, he's obviously taking charge for six months, um, or someone else, more likely Jack Buckner from British Swimming or whatever.
1: Yeah, and who would take this job on? I mean, certainly when you read the response from the, the athletes and the people in the athletics community Last night in response to this, they were all saying that they needed someone that knows athletics, knows the sport. And that might seem like an obvious thing if you're going to take over as a performance director, as a chief executive of an organisation. But you've highlighted a couple of very good examples there. Jack Buckner will be named as one of the people that perhaps should get this job, who's done tremendously well at swimming. But his background is track and field. He was not a swimmer. You look at Andy Salmon at triathlon. He came through from golf, but he took triathlon and he transformed that organisation. You look, as you said, at Stephen Park, who's in a performance director role. He came from the Royal Yachting Association. He was with British Sailing. But he came and stepped in and he was able to transfer his skills into a cycling programme for the Olympics and Paralympics and we've seen the continued success of that and we are seeing continued success of that at the World Track Cycling Championships at the minute with a new cohort of cyclists coming through. So I think it's too easy, it's too lazy to say that the person the people that take over these two high profile roles at British athletics have to be dyed in the wall athletics people. I just think that's the equivalent of giving the manager role at a football club to the former club legend because they know the club. They're the lifeblood of the club. They know it inside out. They get the fans. They understand what it means. That's not good enough. We don't make strategic organisational decisions on whether you've stood on a track or by a track on a windy Wednesday afternoon back in 1997. You don't make transformational decisions because you've done that. What they need to do, and I've said this before, is they need to cast their net far and wide, whether they are looking to business, whether they are looking at other NGBs, other sports like swimming, triathlon, whatever. They need to look at people that have got a track record of succeeding. And you could argue they did that with Joanna Coates and what she had with, with England Netball. But for whatever reason, the athletics community never bought in to the changes that she was making because she was not perceived to be an athletics person. That's a big but issue.
0: British athletics, the people who are involved in British athletics, who you have absolutely right, have said they want someone from athletics, they must realise that this organisation needs to change. And they've started that process, but apparently there was a lot of kickback. They must realise, Michael, it has to change. And you're right. We've just said, uh, Jack Buckner, Martin Rooney said, is it too early to throw in his CV? We've talked about Stephen Park. You've talked about Andy Salmon. Brian Facer has become um, the new CEO of British Cycling. You'll notice they're all men. And I do think there is a question mark about these two, Joanna and Sarah, were two leading women in, in, in British sport. And I don't think we should just say, oh well it didn't work for other reasons. That, I'm not saying it is because they are women that it hasn't worked, but we should also now be looking at where are the next lot of the next top performers who are not male coming through as well because I've talked about the diversity with Christian Malcolm. It's important. Who are the most successful British athletes? Michael, they're women. So why, why why can't we have a... Why are we now? here? Here's the list of people that we're going to gonna take over. Mark Monroe is, is taking over six months. And look, he's, he said he's very grateful for trusting me to work with them and lead the team for the next six months. As far as discussions have gone, lots to do, but a matter of cracking on and doing what needs to be done. Him and Ian Beatty, the new chairman who came in, as I mentioned earlier, were both at Scottish Athletics. They've done absolutely brilliantly up there. Hopefully they can take it on. And they can change things at British Athletics. But I don't think we should be afraid to say it was important that they appointed Joanna Coates and, and Sarah Simmington. And actually, we should be looking for more of those top class women to come through and run these organisations as well. And we shouldn't be afraid for that. But you're right. The big question mark, you're absolutely right, is about the people in the sport. Whatever you do, whoever comes in has got to get people on board. You have to set a vision out and you've got to take people with you. And a leader is only as good as the people around them, and in sport you're only as good as your last performance. And that is is difficult, but it is really really important that these next decisions are the right ones because we all thought that if you gave Joanna Coates enough time, she would deliver. And something has gone wrong and she has decided that she can't do that.
1: Well, I was shaking my head at what you were saying there. And it's not often that we disagree a lot, but I do disagree with your, when you said that the people in the sport of athletics know that it needs to change. I'm not sure they do. When I, I read the flurry of messages from, you know, the people in and around the sport, and that's not just the elite athletes, but, you know, the hardcore fans the people that that will go to the meetings in bedford and you know have been to raf cosford and watched indoor meetings in the past when i'm talking about people like that i i'm not sure they they do want their sport to change dramatically i'm not sure they have the appetite for some of the dramatic changes that are required to take british athletics onto the same kind of stratosphere the same kind of performance level at an elite level of those other sports that we talk about. When you look at organisations like British Sailing and British Cycling and British Taekwondo and British Triathlon and the medal return that they get for their athletes, and I accept that it is much harder to win medals in track and field because so many more nations are able to to get athletes there and onto the start line. But I am not convinced and I've said it before and I will say it again, I am not convinced the athletics community or many people in the athletics community want the kind of changes that are probably required in the sport at the moment. And that's why I was shaking my head at you because they're obsessed a lot of these people with PBs and they know their history and they know who they've supported in the past and they know about the past glories and everything else. But. Athletics just seems to me over the last, I don't know, generation, if you like, to be just about getting there, just getting the results that they needed just to see them through. Whereas something like British Cycling has has not just got the results, they've exceeded and they've gone on and they've built and they've innovated and they've changed. They realized they weren't going to win the medals on the track. So they went after BMX. They went after mountain biking as well. Why isn't athletics looking at that as well? What, what, what's happening in the track programme, uh, in, the, in the field programme? You know, Let's have a look at all the different events that are there at the minute. Why, why isn't someone at British Athletics doing that? Unless there are people pushing back, either within the organisation or people within the organisation are listening to the noise outside the organisation. Two
0: more bits for me. A reaction to that. I think you're. Uh, I understand exactly what you mean by they're too insular. They're not outward looking. So one of the criticisms of Joanna Coates was that she has let the Diamond League meetings um, dissipate. We had to send one back last year, and I think there's only going to be one moving forward. But the problem is that the athletics community are so insular that all they care about, as you say, is per- our personal bests and, and, and et cetera, et etc. et cetera. What they should be looking at is where are the next big events? British Cycling went BMX went mountain biking. They have the Tour of Britain that goes round Lincoln. We'll talk about it later on in the podcast. They're doing things. They've changed the way that they do things. They're not just doing the same old things. And you're absolutely right. Why are we not looking for the next men's 400 metre runner? We don't have any. They're not funded. Even the relay squad's not funded, as you mentioned in a moment. We're, we've got two insular. So that's, that, I totally agree with you on that. The only thing I wish that someone, I agree with Linford Christie and and a lot of other people, I wish someone had said to Sarah, don't send that tweet. Because what it's done is it's allowed the continuisation to say, well, these weren't right. These people were never right. It should never have worked. She's basically sticking two fingers up. We've all had bad exits and decided it's time to go. But it's really how you do it. And how you'll be remembered for. And I think it's a great shame that she's going to be remembered for that. Because she is Olympic head coach for British cycling. You're going to bump into athletics people at Paris. In LA. How do you look these people in the eyes? Having said, literally as you said, you gave the timeline earlier. I couldn't be happier. And I just think there are ways of leaving. And there are ways of leaving. And I just wish someone... And if she'd have asked for some advice, I think we'd have said, just hold off a minute, let British Cycling do the announcement. You don't need to say anything.
1: I would have said to her, check out a podcast called Endings for Beginnings, um, <laughs> which I would heartily recommend about how endings can be better in organisations. But anyway, that's that's an aside. Uh, let's just mention as well, I mentioned the funding announcements this week and just tied in with that, one of the most critical on social media of the whole Coates Simmington regime was Tom Bosworth. He uh, left a little snake emoji um, in his response to this news. The two-time Olympic walker was left off the list of 67 athletes offered membership uh, to join the British Athletics Olympic World Class Program for the 2021-2022 season. Some of the winners, some of the losers for you. Uh, Medalists in Tokyo, Keely Hodgkinson and Josh Kerr. New names on the list for advanced funding. That is understandable. Andy Pozzi, uh, Gemma Riki, Jasmine Sawyers added two. Maybe a couple of those names might be a bit more of a surprise. Alex Bell is also on that list after her seventh place finish in the women's 800 metres at the Olympic Games. But sixth place in the 400 metres. And remember, it was only her first sort of full season running that distance jodie williams she remains on the relay squad funding so she's not on the podium potential or indeed the podium funding 42 paralympic athletes are confirmed paralympic 400 meters bronze medalist Columba blango moves up to podium funding alongside the likes of the names you'll know hannah
0: cockcroft johnny peacock sophie hahn olivia breen and others uh, Lincoln staged a great weekend for British cycling in the National Road Championships a couple of weekends ago. Ben Swift retaining his title from 2019. It seems very strange to say that. And Pfeiffer Georgie's victory in the women's race. Olympic champion Katie Archibald has been in action at the World Track Championships as well as the other British squad in France. And at the World Gymnastics Championships in Japan, Commonwealth champion Georgia May Fenton and Ruby Stacey made the women's all-round final. Courtney Tullock Joshua Nathan and Hayden Skinner made men's individual finals. Boxing.
1: 21-year-old cruiserweight Connor Tudsbury has been added to the group of eight male boxers selected by GB Boxing to compete at the 2021 World Championships, which are taking place in Belgrade in Serbia. It's an opportunity for a new generation of boxers now to showcase their talent at a major tournament as the seven men that competed in Tokyo in 2021 at the 2020 Olympic Games, of course, not considered for selection this time around.
0: It is weird, the whole 2021 thing. I still think we're in 2020 because we've had Euro 2020. We've had the Olympics 2020. We've had the Paralympics 2020. It's going to be very strange next year when it is actually 2022. Fingers Um,
1: crossed it will be. (laughs)
0: Well, well, yes, quite. Let's hope hope we all get there. Uh, British Olympians are in action, though. At the Paris Grand Slam in judo, Lucy Renshaw won silver in the under 63 kilogram category in what was her first competition since the Tokyo Olympic Games. She lost in the final to 2019 World Championship silver medalist Barbara Timo of Portugal.
1: And we started with the lighting of the Olympic flame again. And the Queen's baton relay, a tradition that celebrates, connects, and excites communities from across the Commonwealth during the build up to the Commonwealth Games, is also back on its way after leaving Buckingham Palace ahead of Birmingham 2022 next summer. Kadina Cox had the honour of taking the baton from the Queen and was the uh, first runner, although she just seemed to uh, have a little wander around the uh, (laughs) memorial uh, before passing it on in the coverage that I saw. She was certainly enjoying the occasion, so great for Kadena Cox there. It will visit all 72 nations and territories of the Commonwealth for 294 days, covering 140,000 kilometres, and if they need a volunteer just to see it around the South Pacific Islands in February-March time... (laughs) All I'm saying is I could clear my diary and be available for that. Uh, Don't forget, on Anything But Footy, we'd love you to get in touch at anythingbutf on Twitter, or you can message us on Instagram or Facebook. You can find us online, anythingbutfooty.com. Send us a message there. There's a contact us form. Or just drop me and John an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com.
0: That includes you, the organisers of Birmingham 2022. I'm available. It's little more than a month since Tokyo ended. Now it's all eyes on Beijing. Can Team GB deliver another Games, a Winter Olympic Games to remember?
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.